0: Hill Street Blues won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X-Files. Welcome to The Gen X-Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about... Soylent Green!
1: I forgot for a second what we were doing. Yeah? (laughs) Yep. Uh, Before, Jim gives away the spoiler... Uh, so, spoiler. Obviously, if you've not seen this movie. Go watch it before you hear this, because we're not going to hold back. Yeah, seriously, because that's the whole point of the movie. <laughs> exactly. But I will have to say, watching it again, it holds on to that secret.
0: Oh man, really well. Like it doesn't telegraph it.
1: No, and it doesn't. It doesn't feel like, like even knowing what the secret is, they're not forcing it. Like it's not like we're doing tricks to hide it. It's like it, it's so taut and plays yeah. out so well through the entire time.
0: Well, it's like a. A sci-fi noir,
1: yeah, mystery. It know? really is. It's got yeah. all of the the uh, ingredients of
0: a good noir thriller. You yeah, know? you got the hard-boiled detective who's flawed, and <laughs> just steals everything. You got the femme <laughs> fatale, and you've got the the big business doing the bads, uncovering the giant conspiracy. Yes, yes. A yeah. Small. It's the same thing, like a, a one crime that leads to the yeah. The uh, uh, discovery of a giant conspiracy.
1: It's it's really good. I I totally forgot how incredibly serious this movie was, and and not in a bad way uh, by any means, because uh, it it works really well and it moves really well.
0: But, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of times people kind of lump this in with Omega Man and and the other yeah. and Planet of the Apes and the other uh, Charlton Heston sci fi movies, right. which are are more goofy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But this is like. This was one of the first kind of eco thriller mm-hmm. uh it really delved into overpopulation and climate change and all of the the uh all of the repercussions of, of
1: ignoring right. that stuff right um, right
0: and, and And what will happen in twenty twenty two yeah the year.
1: the repercussions of uncontrolled capitalism
0: well, it was pretty close <laughs> we just don't have the population explosion that they predicted
1: um actually. Funny enough, we'll get to that, but it's actually more than they predicted. Wow. (laughs) Just not in the same places. Right. Well, no. Yes. 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 I mean, yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, take yourself back to 1973. Yeah. January 1st, Survive by Clay Blair Jr. about the Uruguayan soccer team that crashes in the Andes and lives for three months by eating each other is published. The eight butts. They did. The eight butts. They just shaved off pieces of butt. That's what they did. No, I know. (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to make it funny.
0: <laughs> they made a movie called Alive. Yeah. Not Survive. Uh, no, but... it was
1: Alive. Uh, and I don't know. I'm assuming it was based off this book. It I was. Mean, yeah, because yeah.
0: it was about a soccer team. Unless there's like a bunch of soccer teams this that has crash happened, and eat
1: butt. This has literally happened like 40 times.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's, uh, you would think that they would try to find a solution to this ongoing problem of Cannibalism by soccer players.
1: Uh, So should we pack all that extra food? No. No, it'll be fine. It'll be fine.
0: Look at Ramirez's butt. It's huge.
1: (laughs) That's three days of eating. In February, environmental scientist James Lovelock suggests that CFCs may be causing global warming. He proves this in a paper released the next year. And it'll be ignored for the next 30 years. Yeah, uh, which is funny because I didn't realize. I thought it was an '80s thing that this was discovered, but yeah. it was yeah, like ten years prior to when I thought it was, and everyone ignored it. <laughs> yeah, no, there was a lot of
0: uh, ecological discoveries, a lot of uh, leaps and bounds in pollu- learning about pollution, yeah. and yeah. and you know just all of the you know, decades and decades of yeah, you know, industrial runoff and yeah poisons and the soils and the waters, and you know, oh, and a good thing is uh since it did happen last year, um this year looks like the Supreme Court's gonna gut all of the water protection perfect uh the e p a stuff, so
1: yeah. Soylent Green, here I, we come, baby. I can't wait to get back to 1973 levels of water pollution. <laughs> yes,
0: and not to mention smog. Yeah.
1: In March, the worldwide population reaches 3.92 billion people. Estimates give that the world population reached 8 billion people in November of 2022. Ooh. Yeah. April 19th, Soylent Green is released in theaters. Nice. Yeah, so Soil and Green starts with the 1966 science fiction novel Make Room, Make Room by Harry Harrison Weird name (laughs) Make room, make room Yeah, there is I love 60s science fiction novels uh, Especially like short stories Because they would just do the worst titles Uh, Like my absolute favorite, the Harlan Ellison I have no mouth, but I must scream Okay Yeah, exactly Uh, It's a great novel Bad title Yeah Yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what you're getting, though. That's true. Uh, Harrison started his career as an illustrator for the EC Comics titles Weird Science and Weird Fantasy. Yes, uh, by William Gaines, the publisher of uh, Mad Magazine. He did EC Comics, right? Uh, He would become much better known for his later writing, particularly for his humorous and satirical science fiction, such as the Stainless Steel Rat series and his novel Bill the Galactic Hero, which satirized Robert A. Heinlein's novel Starship Troopers. Nice. During the 1950s and 60s, he was the main writer for the Flash Gordon newspaper strip. Okay. Yeah, he's got some cred. Yeah, he made George Lucas really jelly, because he always he wanted to do Flash Gordon. <laughs> Actually, a little known fact, Harry Harrison and George Lucas hated each other. Really? I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> it was just because he wanted to make Flash Gordon, and he couldn't. Yeah, Right, so he got really mad at the guy that drew the cartoons. Yes, yes. Uh, Make Room Make Room explores the consequences of both unchecked population growth on society and the hoarding of resources by a wealthy minority. Nothing's changed in 50 years. <laughs> Got worse. <laughs> uh, it was originally serialized in Impulse magazine, set in a future against 1990 uh, set in a future in August 1999, the novel explores trends in the proportion of world resources used by the United States and other countries compared to population growth, depicting depicting a world where the global population is 7 billion people, plagued with overcrowding, resource shortages, and a crumbling infrastructure. They missed it by a billy. They did. Uh, The plot jumps from character to character, recounting the lives of people in various walks of life in New York City, which has a population of 35 million people. That's a lot of peeps. That is a lot of people. About the genesis of the idea for the novel, Harry Harrison claimed, Uh, The idea came from an Indian I met after the war. 1946, he
0: told me, overpopulation is a big problem coming up in the world. Nobody had ever heard of it in those days. And he said, want to make a lot of money, Harry? You have to import rubber contraceptives to India. (laughs) Well, I don't mind making money, but I didn't want to be the rubber king of India. (laughs) Oh, no, I didn't.
1: Uh Yeah, the irony is that uh, you realize that very soon, probably within the next two years, India is going to have a larger population than China. Yeah. Uh, So he was right. This Indian was so right. <laughs> Apparently no one ever imported rubber contraceptives to India. Right. Uh, And this is where your 40 million people that they claim New York would be in 2022 in the movie is actually something like Mumbai or –
0: it's because New York got the rubbers. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> they got the rubbers. They knew how to use the contraceptives. Yay. Harrison was contractually denied control over the screenplay and was not told during negotiations that MGM was buying the film rights. Mm-hmm. Uh there's There's good reason for that, and I don't think I included it, but apparently he just randomly showed up on set. Really? <laughs> he would just, like, try to convince the people how to play the characters. Hey, um, yeah. C- uh, uh, Charles, <laughs> c- come here for a second. Um, you yeah. oh. know... I
0: don't think he'd wear a kerchief. This isn't a Western.
1: Okay. <laughs> this is the least Western kerchief ever. Okay, I'll leave. But I'm not happy. Yeah, apparently he would hand out uh, copies of the novel to people to be like, this is the source material. will be more like it.
0: Uh, you guys read this? it not look like you read it.
1: It's, really great, really it's a great good book. book. <laughs> uh, well, they're not free. You gotta pay me for it. and sign <laughs> though. Uh, he discussed the adaptation in Omni Screenflight Screen Fantasies mag- magazine, noting the murder and chase sequences in the Furniture Girls are not what the film is about, and are completely irrelevant. Am I pleased with the film? I'd say about 50%. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's his original work, but the original novel is, uh, you wouldn't be able to make it. No, but still,
0: you know what it's like. You know what it's like, fifty hour, and you give the script, and you really, you know, you're excited about it, and then somebody yeah. does something, and your initial reaction is you ruined it, and then yeah. you kind of relax, and you're like, oh, it's fine. It's hard sometimes to see your stuff adapted, especially if it's adapted in a way that's kind of counter to what you were.
1: Look, man, if someone was paying me money to do that stuff, I wouldn't care in the slightest. True, do what you want with it. True, but I think he was already successful and had enough money that he could bitch if he wanted to. I agree. I agree. While the book refers to Soylent Steaks made from soy and lentils, it makes no reference to Soylent Green, the processed food rations depicted in the film. The book's title was not used for the movie on grounds that it might have confused audiences into thinking it a big screen version of Make Room for Daddy, the sitcom starring Danny Thomas that left air in 1964. Make Room for Daddy was hugely popular. I know, I know. Make Room, <laughs> just, Make
0: Room for Daddy! I
1: just find it really funny that there were su- executive <laughs> meetings like, but wait, this isn't about the, the sitcom? Honey,
0: you said Make Room. Make Room was going to be a sequel to Make Room for Daddy. This is a post-apocalyptic nightmare. And there's no Danny Thomas. Uh,
1: To their credit, a soft sequel to the sitcom called Make Room for Granddaddy aired for a season in 1970. It was a hit. Yeah, it aired for one season. (laughs) One season. (laughs) The screenplay for Soylent Green was written by Stanley R. Greenberg. Greenberg started his career writing for television. He wrote for The Doctors and the Nurses from 1962 to 1965. Nice. The Defenders. The Defenders about a father and son team of lawyers from 1963 to 1965. Uh, And Man in a Suitcase, a spy thriller from 1967 to 1968. Yeah, it was about this tiny little spy
0: named Dweeds. Johnny Dweeds. Johnny Dweeds. And he would... uh, They outfitted this suitcase like a little home for him. And... (laughs) This uh, woman, uh, Cheryl Majoun. She was his handler, Quotes. I mean, literally. Yeah. And she would take uh, him in his suitcase to different spy places, and then they would spy. They'd put him, in. he'd go, like, because I get little places. That was his catchphrase.
1: (laughs) I get little places. I'm going to say, if that was the actual, uh, what the show was, it would have ran longer than one season. (laughs) It would have. It would have. It led to the cartoon Inch High Private Eye. Oh, yeah. No, I do not. It was great. (laughs) sounds fantastic. So Stanley R. Greenberg also wrote for The Bill Cosby Show in
0: 1970.
1: It was a sitcom about an inner-city LA high school gym teacher. Uh, he was relatively young at that time. Uh, anyway, I don't know how many t- Bill Cosby shows there were. There I was know. I Spy, which was
0: amazing with he and Robert Colton. Right. Uh, and then there was the Co- this Cosby Show, I think. And then there was the Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. Right. And there was the Cosby show. The that was the 80s one. 80s one. And
1: I think he had one or two other pilots. So that's what I it's like, it's like um oh god what's his name? The Newhart, like Bob, Bob Newhart, Newhart, who had four variations of his sitcom right. all called the Bob Newhart show, show, Newhart or Newhart Newhart or Bob Newhart Newhart show, Bob Newhart. That was my favorite
0: yeah. one, the Newhart, Newhart, Bob, Bob, Newhart, Newhart show. That was it. Was a lot of, it was a mouthful. He was, but it was a. Good, they canceled it because Surpri- they couldn't
1: fit it into the TV guy. Surprisingly, <laughs> they just shortened it to Newhart, and he said, "No, uh, no." Well, Bill Cosby was
0: just, a, he, he was one of my favorite yeah, actors. Yeah. You know, I loved him so much. He, man, that was heartbreaking. I agree. To find out I that agree. He's a monster.
1: I know. I know. I one of those times I didn't want to know, but he had to know because he was so bad. Well, like I tell everybody I hate knowing things about
0: the actors I love the most, but if they're a criminal, I want to know it. Didn't he? Is he out of jail now? Yep, he okay. got out of jail on a technicality. Okay, uh, because okay. he the sketchy deal that they did in the first civil trial, I think, or the first trial that yeah. they did. I like mean, they had this whole really crap deal that they that the um right. prosecutor did. And because of that crap deal there was something within it that negated oh. the whole prosecutorial the whole thing, situation so. with him, so he's out of prison. Yay, technicalities. And screaming vindication, even though it's
1: a technicality. <laughs> and and uh uh talking about going on tour. Oh great. And him and Roseanne can do a <laughs> <cancel> culture <laughs> tour. <laughs> cancel. Yeah. So, so uh, Greenberg was also a staunch anti-nuclear activist and supporter of Israel. He focused on writing political docudramas, which he called theater of fact. That's awesome. You know, it's really funny, though. When I first read this,
0: I yeah. thought that the, sh- the Cosby show, that the teacher was a staunch <laughs> anti I was like, that's super yeah, progressive. Weird. And Israel, that's really weird for <laughs> For
1: the Cosby show in 1970? <laughs> Damn, man. Yeah.
0: That's some progressive stuff
1: Uh, Greenberg wrote Skyjacked in 1972 Starring Charlton Heston We've been skyjacked Welcome Home, Johnny Bristol, also in 1972, the TV movie starring Martin Landau and Jane Alexander about a POW who comes home to find his hometown missing. It is my town. Uh, I was, Ooh. I gotta say, reading about Welcome Home, Johnny Bristol, it sounded fascinating. It does. I don't know if I've ever seen it's, it. It was a TV movie. I'm sure it's available on YouTube, but it, it, it essentially, not to spoil anything, but I'm going to do it anyway, it essentially comes down to him. It's like PTSD, and the town never actually existed. Ooh. And like, he's he's just was so rattled by the war. It okay. Was, I, I, i got to
0: tell my quick Martin Landau story. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: I think I've told it before, but
0: Martin Landau lived near us for a long time. Oh, really? And I would run into him at Ralph's. (laughs) And he – we never spoke, but we always recognized each other. He'd wink at me. I'd wink at him. We'd give a smile and a nod. (laughs) And every time I was in there, he would do it. And we never approached each other. It was really weird. But it was just like I had this really cool unspoken that's friendship so cool, yeah, for years. That's crazy for years with Martin Landau, where we it. would just like <laughs> you would just go to the grocery store at the same time. Yeah, it was, was just, just random. Buy our mac and cheese and ice creams, wow. and he would we just do our little winks and nods, and nice. uh, and it was just really cool. And I just I loved it because he totally we re- recognized each other and stuff. But yeah, it was yeah. just like I didn't want to ruin he it. He didn't know his
1: he didn't know your name. No, and but anything, it's like it's just,
0: we it was i've never had like a, 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 a that type of relationship with anybody that's let alone a celebrity that's but amazing. for years he yeah. and i were just kind of like these winking buddies wow, it was really so cool that's so funny the you talking about the Ralphs up here mm-hmm. oh wow yeah. that's funny just the nicest guy just like you know i mean i really don't know because we never really spoke but, <laughs> but i've heard he's a
1: nice guy i mean i yeah but it
0: was just a fun Little thing that he and I had for years until he died.
1: It's really funny because I used to run into Chad Michael Murray up there all the time, uh, and he never acknowledged me, even though we worked together. Wow, no, <laughs> no winks and nods. Nope, not from Chad Michael Murray, <laughs> who is the exact opposite of Martin Landau. Is a complete douchebag. Really? Oh my god, Chad Michael Murray. Yeah, maybe that's why Chad Michael Murray isn't working that long. He's yeah, got a good serial killer name. Yeah, he's he's in some CBS show or something lately. But he, he left One Tree Hill to try to be a movie star, and it failed. Uh, poor Chad Michael yeah. Murray. Maybe uh, no, if he was no, not poor guy. Chad Michael Murray. Maybe,
0: <laughs> Do maybe. not give any
1: sympathy to Chad Michael Murray. Maybe
0: if you were a nicer guy, Chad Michael Murray,
1: you'd have a better career. Yes. There you go. All right. Uh, so, Greenberg also wrote Pueblo in 1973, the TV movie about the USS Pueblo being captured during Vietnam, starring Hal Holbrook, Ronnie Cox, and Andrew Dugan. Nice. Uh, the Missiles of October in 1974, about the Cuban Missile Crisis, starring Willem Devane as William Devane as JFK and Martin Sheen as RFK. Era uh, era, uh, uh, there's a, a Cuban Missile Crisis. Era uh, 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 I know, brother. Uh, what are you going to do about it, uh, uh?
0: Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, 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 be a pigs.
1: Uh, 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 uh. That was a scene from. <laughs> Why no one's ever seen this movie, <laughs> I don't know. It's a great movie by the way. It's really good. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Blind Ambition in 1979, the 4-hour miniseries about the Watergate cover-up starring Martin Sheen as John Dean and Rip Torn as President Nixon.
0: Uh, I'm President Nixon. Uh,
1: uh, uh. That was actually in Men in Black. He was reprising the role <laughs> of President was. Nixon. I,
0: I love Rip Torn. <laughs> so He's fantastic. Much. He just seems like he was a he was a drinker. I think. Mm. <laughs> no, you don't yeah, say. A big secret. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, knew, nobody knew. Nobody knew about that about Rip Torn. But my God, I met him once at, on the Men in Black set when I was looking oh, yeah? for uh, just the funniest M effort. Oh yeah, yeah. Just effing hilarious
1: and just like. Exactly the way you'd want him to be, you know? (laughs) Nice, nice. It was great. Walter Seltzer, who produced The Omega Man and worked with Heston on a number of films, hired Richard Fleischer to direct Soylent Green. Richard Fleischer is the son of Max Fleischer, an animator most famously known for his Superman cartoons. Yeah,
0: didn't he also do um,
1: like Woody Woodpecker and stuff? Or was he just, like, superhero? Maybe? I don't know. I didn't look into it. I just looked into Richard Fletcher. I didn't look too deep into Max Fletcher. Max is a... I know Max Fletcher because of the amazing Superman cartoons, where it was, like, the kind of rotoscoping, and, like, it was animation that people had never seen at the time. And it was like, oh, my God, it was such leaps and bounds.
0: Yeah. Quote, (laughs) unquote. (laughs) Above (laughs) the other animation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was an innovator, and uh, just one of the... Powerhouses in animation yeah, back in the yeah, day. Yeah. His film career, uh Ro- Richard's film career began in nineteen forty two at the RKO studio, directing shorts, documentaries, and compilations of Forgotten Silent features, which he called Flicker Flashbacks. Flicker flashbacks. <laughs> Someone was he was really proud
0: of that. <laughs> hey you guys, you guys you guys see my flicker flashbacks?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We could did, you, Walter. Could you could you just stop saying flicker flashbacks? flashbacks. <laughs> Here comes another flicker flashback. I'm com- I'm working on a Flickr flashback, Walter. Please, we're just trying to eat lunch. Th- there was actually Flickr flashbacks is what they called all the uh, PTSD from yeah. people working with Walt Disney <laughs> after 20 years. Yeah, it was it was like Flickr, but there was no L and I was a U. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Richard Fleischer won an Academy Award as producer of the 1947 documentary Design for Death, co-written by Theodore Geisel, later known as Dr. Seuss, which examined the cultural forces that led to Japan's imperial expansion through World War II. Yeah, it was really weird. It was like, Ooh, the <laughs> Japanese, a wunkily
0: dunkily dunkily do. They put the swords inside of you, and then the bombs, they start to fall, goobly gobbly giggly Then the schnooks and schnanks and sneaks
1: come and put the bugs and blinks uh yeah it was it was uh it kind of took didn't take it too seriously <laughs> dr seuss uh unfortunately did a lot of really racist propaganda in world war ii and i think he was at this point had realized what he had done and yeah was trying real hard to cor- correct course correct
0: yes yes he did and uh that that is why a couple of his books they decided not to keep publishing yeah, the Theodore yeah. Geisel Institute or whatever, yeah. because they know that they ultimately go against the change that he had right. against the race and right. stuff, and he would have wanted those books taken off. Yes, yes. And then, you know, Ted Cruz lost his mind. Yeah, well,
1: anyway. Said that everybody's <laughs> yeah. woke. Yes, well. <laughs> Fleischer was a contracted director through the 1940s, making thrillers and noirs. In 1954, he was tasked with directing 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. After this, Fleischer became the go to director of tentpole films. Nice. Such as The Vikings in 1958, starring Kirk Douglas. The Vikings! We are the Vikings! Barabbas in 1961, starring Anthony Quinn. Oh, Barabbas, he's the guy that, that
0: put the finger on Jesus. Is it? Barabbas, wasn't Barabbas the, um, the, the it was between Jesus and Barabbas, the murderer, who was going to get crucified. And everybody oh. was like, kill Jesus,
1: let the murderer go.
0: Oh, okay. And that's Barabbas. That sounds, okay. That sounds more right now. Um, Anthony Quinn had a baby in his 80s. Wow, you know that's back now. By the way, yeah, it's a thing. Uh, De Niro just just said Pacino, his young girlfriend's, oh, gonna have a baby. I'm 110. Yeah, by by the time
1: the kid can talk, he's 110. Well, they're never gonna know their fathers. Yeah, you know it's yeah. So selfish. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, they'll they'll have good stepdads. (laughs) We'll see. It'll be us. <laughs> uh, he directed Fantastic Voyage in 1966, starring Stephen Boyd, Raquel Welch, and Donald Pleasance. One of my
0: absolute favorites, man. So good. Oh god, so good.
1: that the scene
0: where the guy goes out. I don't remember which. I think it's Donald Pleasance. One of the guys is like out swimming in the body and yeah. gets attacked by like white blood cells or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was so was crazy. so cool. It was so cool. But I love those like Shrinky Dink. Yeah. There was uh, a <laughs> real quick speed bump. There was this ride at Disneyland called the, the Great People Mover or something. Okay. I, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's still there. No. But it was this ride where it would shrink you down oh. into a molecule and then you'd go inside of all these molecules and stuff. And as you're waiting, you see like the little carts. They have like little toy carts that get smaller and smaller. Oh, yeah. So it looks you see yeah. the shrinks. I lost. <laughs> my effing mind i was like screaming crying i'm like they're never gonna make us big again i was like three or four i'm like i'm in a trap my mom it's like the most innocuous ride it is so slow and boring and silly and just you know You'd it's just like, like freaking out on the teacups <laughs> yes all it is is like bad projection of like you know white well, blood cells and yeah, stuff. but
1: when you're three or four it's so oh real god
0: yes and i was just like God, I was so scared that I was going to stay microscopic. And then, yeah. uh, man, I still I still remember that fear today. I don't know. But it didn't affect me forever. I'm not afraid of getting shrunk
1: down anymore. You still, you still wake up <laughs> screaming in the middle of the night. I'm not little! <laughs> <laughs> he also directed the musical film Dr. Doolittle in 1967, starring Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
0: I, it, with the... The
1: llama with the two animal, heads. Yeah, the animals. Yeah, yeah, he got yeah. A head on his butt and a head on his face. Yeah, and the war epic Torah 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 in 1970. Such a good movie. These are all great movies. I, I, by the way, this is the funny thing is that I did not know these things about Richard Fletcher, uh that he directed all these movies. I had no idea. He's great. I mean, all these, all of them. Doctor Dolittle really fun. Fantastic uh, Boys. I haven't seen Barabbas. Uh, I haven't either. Although I want to say I think in my religious school teachings after I left Catholic school. I think they made us watch it.
0: Maybe. But I don't remember. I had a lot of Bible epics back then, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was you a know, thing. Ten Commandments. Yeah, well, religion was huge. Yeah. You, everybody was Christian back then.
1: And if yeah. you weren't Christian, you were quiet. That's <laughs> true. That is true. <laughs> after Soylent Green, he would continue to direct tentpole movie tentpole movies like the controversial period drama Mandingo in 1975. Yeah. Mandingo. Controversial. Yeah. That's a term now, too. Yeah. Ugh. Uh and the Robert E. Howard Sword and Sorcery films Conan the Destroyer in 1984 and Red Sonja in 1985. Conan the Destroyer is the sequel, correct?
0: Yeah, not very good. Uh
1: I really liked Red Sonja. That was the first Red one that good. I remember. Yeah. Like I hadn't seen the uh Conan movies before that and then I was so surprised and it was like, "Wait, Conan has his own movies?" Because I was like 7 at the time and yeah, it was yeah. they were Red Sonja was running on like Cinemax all the time. Conan yeah. the original Conan's great, but the Destroyer wasn't that great. It had a uh, Will Chamberlain. Yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah, yeah. Fleischer worked with many of the top Hollywood stars of his time, including... Kirk Douglas,
0: Robert Mitchum, James Mason,
1: Robert Wagner, Tony Curtis, Louis Jourdan,
0: Gene Hagen, Victor Mature, Richard Egan, Ray Milan, Farley Granger, Orson Welles, Diane Farsi, Anthony Quinn, Stephen Boyd, Rex Harrison, Anthony Dooley, Mia Farrow, George C. Scott... Charles Brunson, eh uh, Richard Antenborough, Charlton Heston, Lee Marvin, Glenda Jackson, Eddie Deason, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Eddie Deason. Eddie Deason. I love it. Hey, I'm Eddie Deason. I'm the biggest star of the world. He's up there with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's another guy that you would see him always on the corner of Santa Monica and Melrose, just yeah. wandering around that wow. area in the... Mid to late 90s. He was he was a working man. What are
1: you going to do? He wasn't working anymore. Yeah, he, he was he, just one. He was working that corner.
0: Hey, what's going on? You want to get a, some pleasure from Eddie decent?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could you just not talk during no, it? It's everybody's fantasy. Uh, or... Talk more, if that's your thing.
0: How much for the Eddie Deason fantasy? (laughs) (laughs) I'll
1: pay you! (laughs) His last feature he directed was called Million Dollar Mystery in 1987, a promotional feature tie-in with the Gladlock Trash Bags starring Tom Bosley, Eddie Deason, and an ensemble cast of America's New Comic Talent. Oh, that was a winner! Uh, Yeah, I went through. I didn't list anybody of the America's New Comic Talent because none of them have been ever heard from again. What a shame that his last movie was a weird. Yeah, timing. it was a it was a Mad 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 World like ripoff. I yeah, say. I remember it. I remember. I remember when it came out. I'm yeah. pretty sure I saw it, but it did not do well. No, it did not. Uh, Richard passed away in his sleep at age 88 in 2006. It's a good run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he did he did had a lot of he had a great uh, oeuvre of films. He did and he li- lived a very long life. He did. Charlton Heston of course was Robert Thorne, or uh, I would say rapacious detective, or, uh, I can't think of the word. Anyway, he's our detective in the film. In 1972, Heston— Intrepid detective? Intrepid, I think, yes, thank you. In 1972, Heston directed his first film, Antony and Cleopatra, based off the Shakespeare novel, starring himself as Antony and Hildegard Neal as Cleopatra. Uh, I'm Antony. Uh, Cleopatra, get over here. Uh, After receiving scathing reviews, the film was never released to theaters and is rarely seen on television.
0: Don't put it out. I did a bad
1: thing. Uh, Although, if you want to see it, it is on Tubi right now.
0: (laughs) Damn you, Tubi! If for
1: some reason you have a weird... Damn you to hell! (laughs) ...need to see Charlton Heston doing
0: Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can see him doing Shakespeare, you can see him playing a Mexican, you can see him doing a lot of stuff he probably shouldn't have been doing.
1: Yes. Uh, he had another movie that wasn't technically released that year, The Call of the Wild, based on the Jack London novel.
0: Yeah, so I'm calling the wild.
1: Uh, while the movie was released in Italy in 1972, it did not get a release in the U.S. until 1975. Heston himself despised the movie and begged people not to watch it. I hate
0: it. I hate it. Don't watch it. I beg you. I'm begging on my knees. Don't watch it. Damn you, Call of the Wild. Damn you, old hell.
1: Uh, He also was in Skyjacked in 1972, which was one of MGM's more profitable movies that year. Skyjacked. Yeah. (laughs) His other movie that was supposed to be released in 1973, The Three Musketeers, where he starred as Cardinal Richelieu, was released in France in December, but pushed to March 74 for the States. I love
0: The Three Musketeers movies. Yeah. With Michael York and, uh, oof. Oliver Reed yeah. and yeah. and but but and I also one of my favorite books is the Three Musketeers by Dumas dumbass yeah by Dumas <laughs> read it today yeah. and you will love it it is one of the greatest adventure books it's funny yeah, yeah. it's got it's just great and they really captured the fun and the humor in these seventies movies but Charlton Heston as the Cardinal is such a weird choice yeah because the Cardinal is such a scheming smart. You know,
1: hey,
0: Charlton Heston says, I'm the cardinal. I'm going to stop those musketeers.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, he proved in Soylent Green that he can pull that back a little bit. No,
0: look, Charlton Heston <laughs> is a really good actor. He, he was very good in the 50s, you know, yep. when he was younger. My favorite Charlton Heston is the overblown, bloated, over-the-top 70s version yeah, of Charlton yeah. Heston. That's because that's who I grew up with, and that's what right, I love. right. And I, you know, I could give less of an S about the Ten Commandments or, yeah. you know, any of those Bible epics that he did that are just so long and boring. Yeah, just so boring. Yeah, Ben Hur. He's not. Is he in Ben Hur? Oh my God, I don't remember. Yeah, dude, Ben Hur. Um, yeah. Anyway, but but uh, it, we'll we'll be doing the, the Three Musketeers movies. But if you haven't yeah. seen those movies, they're so much fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, Heston passed in 2008 at the age of 84. Uh, we did cover more of Heston in a previous episode, so if you yeah. uh, want to know more about his career, please listen there. Yeah,
0: he's an interesting guy who had a strange conversion later in life. He was very liberal yeah. when he was younger. Very and progressive. Extremely progressive and ex- Extremely progressive, especially in terms of race, and mm-hmm. he was one of the first interracial kisses on film. Yeah. and he was a big proponent of hiring, you know, uh, minority crew and actors. Yeah. And he was yeah. he, he he was a really uh, he was really involved, I guess, and, and involved yeah. in in helping to evolve the
1: film industry and yeah. casting, and you know, and uh, there's there's no evidence that that stopped. No, it's just he. In other parts of his life, took very hard right.
0: Yes. During the rah-rah Reagan years, he pivoted and became this parody of himself. Yeah. You know, and and now the only thing that people really remember is, you'll take my gun when you pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Shaking shaking his rifle in the air at the NRA uh, convention. And as I told, as I said before, I did. I dug him up. You did. And I pried that gun out of his fingers. Because <laughs> right. he dared me
1: to, Adam. Right. He dared right. me well, to do it. Double dog dare, Jim. You I can't do it. pass it up. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Taylor-Young was cast as Sherl. Uh, Taylor-Young made her acting debut in Peyton Place in 1966, appearing in 70 episodes. Her character was created to replace the departing Mia Farrow on the soap opera. Mm. Yeah. It was here that she met Ryan O'Neill, whom she married and had one child with. I love Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. She made her feature film debut in 1968 with I Love You, Alice B. Toklas, starring Peter Sellers. Nice. She received a Golden Globe Award nomination for Most Promising Female Newcomer.
0: Yeah, well, they gave those out a dime a
1: dozen. Didn't, yeah. didn't somebody <laughs> it was, win it twice in a yes, row? Two years in a row. Yeah. The girl uh, from. Uh, uh, I think it was from. I think it was from The, the Omega Man? No.
0: Ye- Maybe. It was around
1: that? that time, yeah. It was either
0: The Omega Man or like Plain Misty for me or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. In 1969, she starred in The Big Bounce based on the Elmore Leonard novel, uh, which was later remade remade with uh, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, not good. Great novel. No, horrible. Horrible movie. Yeah. In Soylent Green, she was a concubine called Furniture Girls in the film. That's so weird. That's just so awful, but so appropriate. I
0: don't know. It just made... It it makes sense in the context of the world. It's just so weird that like, you get an apartment and and it's furnished with furniture and a lady. Yeah, and you can either keep the lady or not keep the lady.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's such a weird life. I she was so good in this movie too. Like she was the the understanding that she had to do this stuff, but like still kind of falling for Charlton Heston. At the yeah. time. And I mean, like, she played it very complicated. It's a complicated yeah.
0: part because.
1: Your furniture.
0: I mean, you're basically nothing. You're you're an object. Yeah, yeah. you're 100 percent an object. And and Charlton Heston made her feel like a person, right? And not an object. And right. then, you know, she wanted to be with him, but then, well, it didn't work out.
1: <laughs> no, no. Uh, he begged her to stay with the guy. Stay with him. Yeah.
0: I want to be with you. Yeah, no, you don't, can't.
1: Don't eat any eat, eat any of the Soylent stuff. Don't stay me. away from Soylent green. After Soylent Green, she took time off to raise her child. She returned to film in the 80s with Michael Crichton's 1981 thriller Looker, starring Albert Finney. That's a weird movie. Susan Day was also in that movie from the Partridge Family. Oh, yeah? And it's
0: about models, Then they, like... They... How they're good lookers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but I think they were, like, digitally oh, yeah? making their bodies or something, and then killing oh. these models.
1: It was a really weird oh. movie. It I've, was very interesting. I've never seen it. I, I yeah, To be honest, I've never even heard of it. Yeah, I watched it a lot as a... As, he, as a young, as growing 13-year-old. 12-year-old because it had a lot of boobies in it. You are discovering your sexual identity. Yeah. yeah. Say, so Let's leave it at that. <laughs> she, she also starred in 1985's Jagged Edge, directed by Richard Marquand. That was a great movie. Uh, during the 80s, she also guest-starred in a bunch of TV shows, including... McLeod, Fantasy Island, The Love Boat, Heart to Heart, Hotel in Spencer Verheyen. This led to her having a recurring role on Dallas from 1987 to 1989... Between 1993 and 1995, she appeared in *Picket Fences*, receiving an Emmy for her role and being nominated for a Golden Globe and Screen Actors Guild Award. *Picket
0: Fences* was another one of those quirky little, yeah, uh, like mm-hmm. uh, that Alaska show, uh, Northern Northern exposure.
1: exposure. Yeah, it was like a family, kind of a family thing, a quirky yeah. like Tom yeah, Skerritt played Tom a Scarrett. sheriff. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good. It's good. I, enjoy, I enjoyed *Picket Fences*. She is still around, but not acting much at the age of 78. She's an ordained minister in the movement of spiritual inner awareness founded by the late John Roger Hinkins and now led by her current husband, John Morton. What's that about? Uh, uh, transcendental meditation. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not not like culty or anything. There's actually quite a few people in Hollywood that are involved in it. Uh, oh, yeah. it's. But, uh, uh, Howard Stern was really into transcendental
0: meditation yeah, for a long time.
1: Like, it's it's just not... It's unlike, like, Scientology. They don't ever talk about it. It's just something they do. Well, it's it's... It's like it's meditation, yeah. it's not a, yeah. a religious thing, is it? No, no, no. I mean, it's, I think there are branches of it that have become culty, right. but uh, but this, from what I could tell, movement of spiritual inner awareness is not. Yeah, sometimes, uh, that type of holistic stuff is a backdoor. Like a lot of times
0: during the pandemic, there were a lot of like yoga influencers, that yeah. were being anti vax yeah. and stuff. It was really weird. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you can get, uh, you can get kind of culty
1: in that stuff, too. you got to oh, be yeah. careful. Oh, yeah. Don't
0: get don't get snatched up into one of these
1: things. Yeah, any Anything where there's a group of people trying to tell you how to live your life can become very culty. Groupthink. Yeah. Stay away stay from stay groupthink. Stay away from groupthink, yeah. Uh, she is only one of two cast members from Soylent Green to actually see the year 2022. Who was the other? Uh, we'll get to them. Okay. I don't remember. I'll stop my head. <laughs> Chuck Connors was cast as Fielding, the bodyguard. Oh, I love Chuck Connors. Uh, good old Chuck Connors. Connors is one of only 13 athletes to have played in both Major League Baseball and the NBA. I look so weird doing it. Yeah, I'm sure he did. got such a
0: weird look. He played so many bad guys he did. and good guys, but he just had that weird look, man.
1: I love yeah. Chuck Connors. He then proceeded to have a 40-year film and t- TV career. In 1957, Connors was cast in the Walt Disney film Old Yeller in the role of Bern a. Sanderson.
0: Old Yeller, it's your dog. You got to shoot it. <laughs> oh. It's your dog.
1: Shoot it. You got to shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> He's best known for appearing on The Rifleman from 1958 to 1963. Oh, man. You ever see The Rifleman? No. <sighs> Talk about...
0: Man, he rifled uh, that uh, rifle. Oh, yeah, man. I yeah, have Manchester, seen that. Clip. Now that you, now you, now like that
1: you say gun. that, I totally have seen that. Yeah. yeah. The reason why it was called The Rifleman... <laughs> He was then typecast, mostly playing Rancher Fathers for most of his career. Connors was nominated for an Emmy Award for his performance in a key role against type, a slave owner in the 1977 miniseries Roots. Yeah, he was great in that. In 1987, he co-starred in the Fox series Werewolf as drifter Janosch Scorzini. Does that name sound familiar? It does! It's because it's the same name as the vampire of the Night Stalker in 1972, the TV movie. So he changed from a vampire to a werewolf? I, I mean... As the character? Did Kolchak come? And I don't think it was related. I think they just used the name. Investigate? <laughs> I think she should have.
0: Uh, uh, wait it's, a minute. This is weird. Isn't there a vampire by that name? <laughs> oh, no, look. Oh, here comes a Frankenstein. What's? <laughs> What's it's got the same name. No, oh, it's another Yanush Frankenstein. Yanush oh, Querenzis.
1: No oh, man, and now a mummy with the same name. Oh boy! We came upon the monster Janusz Scorzini <laughs> <laughs> named <laughs> club. Yeah, Connors passed in 1992 from lung cancer at the age of 71. No, Brock Peters was cast as Hatcher. The uh, he was it was Charlton Heston's. Uh, Boss, Boss, yeah. Yeah. He's such a good actor. He was so so, good. Yeah, yeah. Peters is best known for playing the wrongfully convicted Tim Robinson in the 1962 film To Kill a Mockingbird. So great. Every time we
0: mention this film, I just have to mention that I think it is the best adaptation of a book ever. Yeah. It is so well done, and he is so good in it. Oh, my goodness. I would agree.
1: I would agree. Uh, Peters delivered the eulogy at Gregory Peck's funeral in 2003.
0: Gregory Peck.
1: Peters worked with Charlton Heston on several theater productions in the 40s and 50s. The two became friends and subsequently worked together on several films, including Major Dundee, Soylent Green, and Two Minute Warning. Oh, two Minute Warning's so good. Yeah. Such a great movie. And the Super Bowl. Yeah. And the, the There's Sniper. Terrorist. Terrorist. Yeah. yeah. He received the Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award in 1991 for his acting career and humanitarian contributions and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1992. Nice. In the 1980s and 90s, he voiced the role of Darth Vader in the serial radio drama adaptations of the original trilogy of Star Wars films. Hello, I'm Darth Vader. (laughs) But I'm not the Darth Vader that you know. Yeah, That was an exact line of dialogue (laughs) in the radio (laughs) drama, yeah. Soylent green (laughs) is people. Hey, wow, it took you 42 minutes to get to the (laughs) spoiler. I didn't spoil it. <laughs> he played two. Rec- I really thought you were going to say it like every 30 seconds. <laughs> no. yeah. He played two recurring roles in the Star Trek franchise Starfleet Admiral Cartwright in two of the original cast feature films yeah. Star Trek IV The Voyage Home and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. Uh, two of the better movies. Are they, though? And he also played Joseph Sisko, father of Station Commander Benjamin Sisko in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Nice. Yeah. He died in Los Angeles from complications from pancreatic cancer on August 23rd, 2005, at the age of 78. <sighs> what a horrible way to go. One yeah. of the worst cancers. Oh, there was. yeah. Not good. Not good. Paula Kelly played Martha. Uh, she was the, um, the one with the strawberry jam. She was the right. furniture girl with the strawberry jeans. No, she was a furniture girl. Oh, she I thought was she the was a girlfriend of Chacana's. Oh, she was just the girlfriend. Yeah. I thought she was a furniture girl. No, not in that crappy apartment. But I didn't think she, I thought she, maybe, I don't know. Because didn't she offer to like have sex with him? Yeah, but that's just how it was. <laughs> well, that threw me off completely. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, she's just a furniture girl with her time off and she's hanging out at, the, at home. Maybe, but I don't, I don't know. I thought she was just his, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, He didn't have time. It doesn't matter. He didn't have time. I don't have time for your hospitality. If I had time, I would have said something. (laughs) The the whole treatment of sex in the movie was very odd. Uh, But, you know. Uh, She started her career on Broadway. She received the Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle Award and the three three NAACP Image Awards. Wow. Kelly's film credits include... The Bob Fosse-directed film Sweet Charity. The Spook Who Sat
0: by the Door. The Andromeda Strain. Uptown Saturday Night. Oh my God, I love that movie so much. <laughs> Lost in the Stars. JoJo dancer. Your life is calling. Drop squad. And Once upon a time when we were colored. Ugh. Um, there's some really <laughs> problematic titles in that list. Uh, a drama, strange, great movie. Uptown Saturday Night. That is uh, Sidney Poitier. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, And 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 Bill Cosby. And uh, <laughs> I would. I, I've told the story several times, but I would. Force friends to play Uptown Saturday Night with me. <laughs> nice. We would play the two preachers, con men, stealing the money. Oh, if, yeah. if a friend had a uh, fake briefcase or their parents had a briefcase and we had some fake money, oh, or made yeah. fake money, it was Uptown Saturday was Night all day, baby.
1: <laughs> Uptown Saturday Night Night. Here <laughs> <Yeah>. we go. <laughs> Kelly had a regular role as Liz Williams on the first season of the sitcom Night Court, for which she received an Emmy Award nomination. No, Which uh, Doom, they boom, then promptly boom. recast her. <laughs> Really? Yeah. So they, they, they decided that they wanted to have uh, somebody as a uh, love interest for the judge. And, and it couldn't be an Apparently Liz Williams couldn't be it. Oh, gross. Yeah. And she won an Emmy and they canned her. I know. Yeah. She was so good in that show. She was great. She's a great actor. She is. Kelly had also guest starred in a variety of television movies and sitcoms, including... Sanford and Son, Kojak, Policewoman, Woman. Golden Girls, Good Times, Any Day Now, and the Oprah Winfrey-produced TV miniseries The Woman of Brewster Place, which is based on the 1982 novel The Same Name by Gloria Naylor, in which she portrayed one half of a lesbian couple with Lynette McKee struggling against homophobia in an inner-city ghetto. Not to be confused with Brewster's Millions, (laughs) which is a very different movie. Very different movie. Kelly was nominated for a second Emmy for her role in The Women of Brewster Place, she unfortunately died from heart failure on February 8th, 2020, at the age of 77. Oh. No. Yeah. Now, the big one uh, Edward G. Robinson yeah. is Saul Roth. Summerlin' Green was Robinson's 101st screen credit. Good God. Yeah, he worked a lot. He is best remembered for his tough guy roles as gangsters in such films as Little Caesar and Key Largo. Little Caesar, see? I'm gonna take it down, see. Yeah. Yeah, see? During the 1930s and 40s, he was an outspoken public critic of fascism and Nazism, which were growing in strength in Europe in the years which led up to World War II.
0: I don't like fascism and Nazism, see? It's bad, see? Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: His activism included contributing over a quarter of a million dollars to more than 850 organizations which were involved in war relief, along with contributions to cultural, educational, and religious groups. During the 1950s, he was called to testify in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee during the Red Scare, but he was cleared of any deliberate communist involvement when he claimed he was duped by several people whom he named, including screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, according to the official congressional record.
0: That's kind of crappy.
1: Yeah. As a result of being investigated, he found himself on Hollywood's gray list, people who were on the Hollywood blacklist maintained by the major studios, but could find work at minor film studios on what was called Poverty Row. Man, bad choice, eh? Such a weird, complicated time uh, of people just wanting to make art. But they were communists, Adam. Uh, uh, Yeah, We can't have commies. Sure. No commies. I get it. I mean, I get what he did. It sucks, but I get what he did. I mean... Ah, yeah, yeah, I mean... If you suddenly just randomly pulled into a new congressional hearing and they're like, yeah, your career's over, like, I I don't know what I would do. I don't know. I mean, I would like to say that I wouldn't name names. Yeah, yeah. Robinson's roles included a insurance investigator in the film noir Double Indemnity and Dathan, the Adversary of Moses, in The Ten Commandments. Soylent Green was his last role. During shooting, Edward G. Robinson was almost totally deaf. What? He could hear people only if they spoke directly into his ear. His dialogue scenes with other people had to be shot several times before he got the rhythm of the dialogue and was able to respond to people as if he could hear them. What'd you say? Which, actually, he did really well because his scenes were incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, He could not hear director Richard Fleischer yell, cut, when a scene went wrong, so Robinson would often continue acting out the scene, unaware that shooting had stopped. Man, give me no strawberry, see? man. (laughs) Heston and Robinson were very close, having worked together on the Ten Commandments and Robinson almost being in plan of the apes, even going so far as to do makeup tests, but Robinson had a dropout due to heart problems. I remember that. Yeah. Charlton Heston brought Edward G. Robinson a variety of wines and cheeses from all over the world each day Robinson was on set, for his scenes were all shot first. That's what killed him, it was all that cheese and wine. Heston said about Robinson, He knew while we were
0: shooting, though we did not, that he was terminally ill. He never missed an hour of work, nor he was late to a call. He was never less than the consummate professional he had been all his life. I'm still haunted, though, by the knowledge that the very last scene he played in the picture, which he knew was the last day's acting he would ever do, was his death scene. I know why I was so overwhelmingly moved playing it with
1: him. Robinson's final scene he shot was his death scene in Soylent Green. He died of bladder cancer on January 26, 1973. Like a month after he finished shooting, Heston delivered his eulogy and over 1,500 friends of Robinson attended with another 500 crowded outside. Not Dalton Trumbo. No. Robinson received an Academy Award, uh, honorary award for his work in the film industry, which was awarded two months after he died in 1973. He is ranked number 24 in the American Film Institute's list of the 25 greatest male stars of classic American cinema. Uh, multiple film critics and media outlets have cited him as one of the best actors never to have received an Academy Award nomination.
0: Yeah, I mean, ev- most people remember him as the silly impersonation that I do. The Share the gangster, Yeah, meh, yeah. Meh. But he was a really good actor. Yeah. And I think this was one of his best performances. Agreed, agreed. Because it was just so poignant, and I think there was so much more behind it because of what he was going through. Right. That especially that death scene is oh. just unbelievable the look on his face and this the silent acting that he's doing is
1: just incredible chills chills absolute chills watching the movie yeah. knowing that it was the last thing that he was ever going to film
0: and he was in what a great chemistry too between the two
1: of them it's oh like, yeah
0: you don't really know what the relationship no, is you know no. that he is a, a reader yeah all these detectives have a book guy or book girl right that does all the research for them and uh but, you know, it's they, they live together.
1: They ate together. I mean, There's was, no explanation as to why they're living together. Yeah. And, and at the end, he's like, I love you. Yeah. I love it was, you, too. It was so good. It was, their chemistry was so good.
0: It was. It was amazing. And even, you know, the, the his boss is like, we got to get you a new
1: reader. He's too old. He's like, oh, I don't want it. No, no. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Young was cast as Gilbert while traveling. Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> While traveling with a friend on a European excursion in the early 1960s, Young, by chance, got a bit part in the epic Cleopatra, then landed similar minor assignments in, in other films, European film epics, such as 55 Days at Peking, The Leopard, The Fall of the Roman Empire, and The Thin Red Line. He returned to Canada and became a full-time actor, getting parts on Canadian TV shows. He would find some success as a character actor, appearing in Patton in 1970, as time progressed, Young found himself transitioning to low-budget films like Rage in 1972 and Lifeguard in 1976. Young would make guest appearances in films such as uh, during the 1980s and TV shows in the 90s, but would never find the success he had earlier in his career. His last film was in 2013, but he is still around at the age of 83. Uh, it is ironic that the two actors in Soylent Green to survive to 2022 were both named Young. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Um, he's actually now, sorry, he's not 83. He's actually like 92. He's still He's still around. His last movie was in in 2013, which he was 83. Um, yeah, he's still alive. Uh, still kicking it. Nice. Uh, Joseph Cotton was cast as William R. Simonson. Cotton received money for acting lessons at the age of 18 from his family. Nice. He would pay this back with interest by playing professional football on Sundays for $25 a quarter and working as a lifeguard at Wilcox Lake. Wow, 25 bucks a quarter. That's like... Hundred bucks a game. That's a that's a lot for. I'm assuming it was like probably the 40s. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, or even the 30s. 30s. Yeah. yeah. In 1934, Cotton met and became friends with Orson Welles, a fellow cast member on CBS Radio's The American School of the Air. Yeah. In 1937, Cotton became an inaugural member of Welles's Mercury Theater Company, starring in its Broadway production's Caesar as Publius, which ran for 157 performances. That's a lot. Yeah. His film career was launched when he played Kane's best friend in Citizen Kane in 1941. He would work with Wells again in The Magnificent Ambersons in 1942, The Third Man in 1949, and made cameos in Othello in 1951 and Touch of Evil in 1958. Why would I play a Mexican. Yeah, well, yes, Charlton Heston played a Mexican. Yeah, yes. Uh, muy bien.
0: <laughs> he, he, Mi amo is Charlton Heston.
1: He also worked with Alfred Hitchcock in 1943's Shadow of a Doubt, in Under Capricorn in 1949, and would appear several times in Alfred Hitchcock Presents in the late 50s. Cotton's last leading role was in 1970 with Cutter's Trail, a TV movie that was a failed TV pilot. In the 70s, Cotton would work constantly. He admitted later,
0: "I was in a lot of
1: junk. I got nervous when I don't work." One of his last feature films was Heaven's Gate in 1980, directed by Michael Camino. Yeah. uh, At the time, it was the biggest box office flop ever. That's true. In 1981, he suffered a heart attack and a stroke that made him temporarily lose his voice. Yikes. He began years of therapy, which in time made it possible for him to speak again. As he began to recover, he and Orson Welles talked on the phone each week for a couple of hours. Cotton would say... He was strong and supportive, and whenever I used the wrong word, which was frequently, he would say... That's a much better word, Joe. I'm going to use it. He and Wells would meet for lunch and reminisce. When Cotton announced he had written a book, Wells asked for the manuscript and read it that night. In a phone conversation on October 9th, 1985, Wells told his friend and mentor, Roger Hill, that Cotton had written a book, and Hill asked how it read. Wells said, Gentle, witty, self-effacing, just like Joe. My only complaint is that it's too brief. And Wells died the next day. That book killed me. (laughs) In 1990 Cotton's larynx was removed due to cancer Ugh. Yeah that sucks uh, He died on February 6, 1994 of pneumonia at the age of 88 uh, Multiple film critics and media outlets have cited him as one of the best actors Never to have received an Academy Award nomination Seems like a running gag here on the old Yeah oh, whoa. This is Soylent Green they had really good actors They did They just never got the recognition they deserved they were made into food. <laughs> it's the like people. Mike Henry was cast as Kuluzik. Kuluzik! Uh, Henry was a pro football player in the early 60s, playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Los Angeles Rams. Henry's most prominent role was as Tarzan in three 1960s movies, Tarzan in Valley, The Valley of Gold in 1966, Tarzan of the Great River in 1967, and Tarzan and the Jungle Boy in 1968 that were all filmed back-to-back in 1965.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, there's this kid, this creep, uh, this little kid in my neighborhood, and he would run around in tidy whiteies with a steak knife in, stuck in him. And he said he was Tarzan. Weird. And he was like seven, this weird little seven-year-old in his tidy whiteies and a knife running around
1: the neighborhood. Things were different in the seventies, baby. Uh, in the eighties, in my neighborhood, I watched uh, a guy in tidy whiteies chase his wife up the street with a knife. Nice. Maybe it's the same. It guy. wasn't nice. <laughs> maybe maybe this kid grew up, moved to where you are, and yeah, it was it was really weird and very scary. Uh, Henry's probably best known as oh sorry he was lauded as the most accurate Tarzan ever portrayed and was offered a TV show but he turned it down. No thanks. Yeah, Henry's probably best known to move movie audiences for playing Jackie Gleason's character's dimwitted son Junior in the highly popular Smoky the Bandit comedies starring Burt Reynolds and Sally Field.
0: Daddy, what you doing, Daddy?
1: Shut up, boy! Oh, I was... <laughs> okay, he, daddy. he played a prison guard in *The Longest Yard* in 1974. He appeared with Heston in two other films: the football movie *Number One* in 1969, and *Skyjacked* in
0: 1972. Yeah, he was the in uh, <laughs> and the Bandit*. The whole thing is basically because uh, Sally Field leaves him at the altar, right? Right, and goes off. Right, with, you know, he goes, goes off with yeah, with, with but, Bert. Oh man, he always played a dummy, though. Yeah, he yeah, was he was not played dummy. the
1: bright kids. After being diagnosed diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, he retired from acting in 1988, and he died on January 8th, 2021. Oh man, what did he do? That's like it was a 30 long years. time yeah. to be having Parkinson's. Goodness and, gracious. Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. Lincoln Kilpatrick was cast as the priest. Yeah, old buddy Lincoln. Ah, good old Lincoln. Kilpatrick was encouraged to get into acting by none other than Billy Holiday. You
0: should get into acting.
1: <laughs> he made his Broadway debut in 1959 in A Raisin in the Sun. Kilpatrick was co-founder of the Kilpatrick Cambridge Theater Art School in Hollywood, California. He was also the first African-American member of the Lincoln Rep- Center Repertory Company. He had previously appeared with Heston in 1971's Omega Man, which we talk about him way more in that episode if you want to know more about Lincoln Kilpatrick. That's right, baby.
0: You turkey, you jive turkey.
1: <laughs> he continued to work until his death from lung cancer in 2004. You would remember him more if he had a mustache. Yeah. He yeah. was mustache man. Yeah, he was good. He was so
0: good. He, was, he cool. was a great actor, but what's so funny is these the Omega Man role... And this role is so wildly different. Like oh, he yeah. was so good yeah. as this just distracted priest that just is overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. Such yeah. a great performance. But then he kind of went on to, when he got his stash, mm-hmm. he was more of like a professor or a cop. Yeah. He was, yeah. you know, is a lot of sitcoms as the teacher or as like. Yeah. Yeah. He had a really good career as being kind of an academic or He was a, always a cop. the
1: adult in the room. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. He had a, a gravitas to yeah. him that. Uh, that uh, he used throughout his career. He did. Roy Jensen was cast as Donovan, the secret shady guy, (laughs) (laughs) the secret shady guy, uh, who wore big sunglasses. You never actually saw his face through the entire film. He was creep. Yeah. Jensen transplanted from Calgary to Los Angeles at a young age before joining the U.S. Navy and fighting in World War II. He then went back to Canada and became a professional football player from 1951 to 1957. Nice. A lot of professional athletes in this movie. Yeah, and I think that was times when they had, like, leather helmets. Oh, yeah. They did not have proper... <laughs> no. 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 Jensen was a prolific character actor appearing in such films as... The Missouri Traveler, Warlock,
0: Thirteen Ghosts, How the West Was Won, Waterhole number 3, Our Man Flint, Big Jake, Harper, Bustin' Loose, and Green, The Getaway, The Way We Were, The Outfit, and Chattertown. Don't worry, Jake, <laughs> it's Chattertown.
1: He also worked frequently with directors John Milius in Dillinger, The Wind in the Lion, and Red Dawn. Avenge and me, boys! And Clint Eastwood, when she was in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, The Gauntlet, Every Which Way But Loose, Any Which Way You Can, and The Honky Tonk Man. Have you ever seen The Gauntlet? Yes. I watched it once and I was I was probably too young for it. Yeah. Oh, it was with he and his then girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Locke. And she's like this
0: prostitute. And he's gotta get it was one of those one of the first like, you gotta get this get, person from this yeah. to that. And by the end He, like, has this bus that he, like, souped up Mad Max style, and he's just driving into Vegas or whatever, and there's just a thousand mob guys trying to kill him. It is such a great movie.
1: It is good. I remember enjoying it immensely. Every one of those movies, by the way, is really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jensen is perhaps most well-known as the first guy Kane beats up in the TV series Kung Fu. Nice. And for the Star Trek episode, The Omega Glory, for all our Star Trek fans out there. Yeah. Jensen died from lung cancer at the age of 80 in 2007. So much cancer. It makes me think, like, were all these people on that Genghis Khan
0: movie? Or, you know, how many of these folks were shooting on location in these, you know, in Nevada and all of these places? It's also just possible that cancer kills almost everyone. Well, it's suspect. All of these actors around the same age. Yeah, Yes, cancer is awful, but it's like, it just seems like there's something going on.
1: There's, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it is the theme of Soylent Green. The, I think it's Charlton Heston. Too much pollution and too much stuff causes cancer. I think Charlton Heston was a crusader. It, it was Charlton game. Heston. Yeah, I'll give you cancer. He just radiates everyone. Just don't touch me. So it's, it's his teeth when he smiles. Uh, my crazy teeth. The cancer teeth. <laughs> Leonard Stone was cast as Charles, the building manager, who really likes to beat up ladies. Yeah, he's a weird looking dude. And they didn't do him any favors with that wackadoo hairstyle. Oh god. Uh, Stone was a character actor that appeared in supporting roles in over 120 television shows and 35 films. You would see him in everything
0: in the 70s and 80s.
1: Everything. He won a Tony Award in 1959. One of Stone's more notable film roles came in 1971 when he played Mr. Beauregard, the father of Golden Ticket winner Violet Beauregard, played by Denise Nickerson in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, he, he was really good in that. He's a great character actor. Oh, he was one. Of,
0: he's a journeyman. I really a,
1: believed that he wanted to beat those women up. Yeah, he's a creep. <laughs> he was a good creep. He's also well known for playing Judge Paul Hansen on L. A. Law from 1988 to 1994. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he passed from cancer in 2011, one day before his 88th birthday. Oh. Yeah. Cancer again. Another cancer. Yeah. I'm telling you, Charlton Heston. Dick Van Patten was cast as Usher Number One. Uh, Van Patten's career, very short part, but Van Patten's career spanned seven decades of television. He was best known for his role as patriarch Tom Bradford in the ABC television comedy drama Eight is Enough from 1977 to 1981. And every time his wife would be like, let's have another baby. And he'd be like,
0: eight is enough. It is definitely enough. Eight (laughs) is enough.
1: (laughs) Van Patten appeared in several films directed by Mel Brooks, including High Anxiety, Spaceballs, and Robin Hood Men in Tights. He was the father of the princess in Spaceballs. He was so good. He was good at everything.
0: Uh, His kid's really good. He's just, he's like one of those Hollywood royalty TV guys that just seems like a really nice guy. Everybody wanted him to be your dad. Yeah, yeah. You know, he just had that really comfortable, nice career.
1: He uh, also made cameos in the music videos for Smells Like Nirvana and Bedrock Anthem by Weird Al Yankovic and on The Weird Al Show. They're probably pals. I probably were. Van Patten was the founder of Natural Balance Pet Foods, a national guide dog month. He was a huge animal lover, Mr. Van Patten. Animal welfare advocacy was his passion. Uh, And the funny thing is that because I came up after 8 is Enough was off the air, because I don't remember that at all. Right. But I remember him being in those natural balance commercials, and that's what I thought he was. He was like, "Oh, he's the dog food guy, feed your dog right, natural yeah. balance." And then even when I saw Spaceballs, I was like, "Hey, it's the dog food guy, dog food dude." Yeah. In January 2006, Van Patten was taken to Cedars Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles after suffering a diabetic stroke. Oh no! Van Patten, who suffered from type two diabetes, made a full recovery. But complications from diabetes would eventually get him, and he died in 2015 at the age of 86. at least it wasn't cancer. True. Uh, To be honest, I didn't realize he had died. Really? Yeah. Well, he's old. I mean, he was old, obviously, but uh, yeah. I didn't know he died either. Um. The film was released April 19th, 1973, and met with mixed reactions from critics. They don't get it. Uh, Time called it... Intermittently interesting...
0: Heston forsakes his granite stoicism for once. The film will be most remembered for the last appearance of Edward G. Robinson. In a rueful irony, his death scene, in which he is hygienically dispatched with the help of piped-in light classical music and movies of rich Beale Flash before him on a towering screen, is the best in the film. Okay,
1: uh, it's great, but no, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I think, don't, I don't uh, find it intermittently interesting. No, I, I, I thought think it was extremely
0: moral. interesting. I yeah. also
1: think, you know, yes, Edward G. Robinson was a great scene, but come on, man, everybody's going to be remembered for Soyl and Green
0: as people. I know, I know, I know.
1: Roger Ebert gave the film three stars out of four, calling it... A good, solid science fiction movie. And a little more. All right. Hey, Ebert had a good taste on this. Unfortunately, Gene Siskel gave the film one and a half stars out of four and called it... A silly detective yarn full of juvenile Hollywood images. Wait till
0: you see the giant snow shovel scoop the police used to round up rowdy, Oh, you mean never stop laughing. What a weirdo. No, that was gross. And
1: <laughs> you're a psycho. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, Yeah. I th- I honestly think that Gene Siskel – I really honestly believe that Roger Ebert tries to find the positive in all the movies, whereas Gene Siskel just tries to find as much as he can criticize.
0: I agree. And I, that was their strength as a – Yeah, uh, together, he,
1: yeah.
0: Ebert was the movie lover and Siskel was the movie cr- critic. You know, yeah, he was the yeah. guy that was always like a little – but, you know, they both were movie lovers. Yeah. And I think, you know – like. Like the Star Wars review. It brought out the kids in them and they sure, both really enjoyed sure. it. I think they want to like movies. I just think Gene Siskel was a little bit more self-important and like yeah. to, you know, show off his intellect. He was a stick in the mud. Well, I also think he was a little insecure about just being a movie critic. You know, I Probably. think oh, you know, because you know yeah, at the time, that. you know, you, you know, Pauline Kale and there were a lot of like really you know, very they uh, considered
1: them to be more literary. They were the TV guys. They were the thumbs right. up guys. You know, yeah.
0: It yeah. was like you know they were the mainstream. You know, they they were the ice cream version of.
1: Well, and that's what I I think that Ebert Burger. accepted that embraced it, and yeah. Siskel did not. Siskel was insecure about it. I yeah. think I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, regardless, I think the giant uh, snow shovel scoop scene is fantastic. It's silly because I mean it is. Like, why don't you just jump out? You know, it's like. Well, but that's but that's that's the thing is that it it could have been directed better to the for that scene to where to show them like crushing against each other and not being able to right. get out. You know, like they probably needed another hundred extras to be smashing against each yeah. other to do it right. But I mean, that happens. You know, like maybe a bigger scoop. I mean I was at a concert where once the main band came out like everyone rushed the front and they had to stop halfway through the first song and they were like we're going to not play if you guys don't back the hell up. Yeah. And and it's it's scary, you know. I mean it's really scary not being able to have control over your body. So I I I get it. I don't think it was depicted that well in this. And yes, the giant scoops seem silly. But that was such a sixty sci-fi like trope. Like, get the it was, scoops. Yeah, it was such a. Go get the
0: scoops. A, the scoops are coming. The scoops are coming. The scoops are coming. Disperse. Disperse. The scoops. the scoops. The scoops. Two scoops. Wait, you mean we're getting ice cream? No,
1: two scoops of raisins. Uh man, I love this movie. I oh, me too love this movie so much. I, I always think that it's like kind of sillier than it is. Yeah, and it's not. Well, because like we talked about it, it gets lumped in
0: with Omega Man, yeah. which is pretty silly. Yes. You know, Omega yes. Man's a fun, silly goofball. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the epitome an, of 70 side. It's an
1: action movie, you know, yeah. like it's this is specifically not. It's
0: look, Omega Man's a B movie. You know, yeah. it's a silly yeah. B movie. This there's so many interesting uh, there's so many interesting tropes in this film and you know, overpopulation. Yeah. Greenhouse effect. Uh it's an ecological thriller that sh- that's basically showing what's going to happen to the country, uh, the world, if we don't right, right. change our ways, you yeah, know? Yeah, And that was new. I don't think people knew how to, like, deal with that because it, right. it was like, oh, you know, I don't know. The government's not telling us.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's hard to say, oh, my God, the overpopulation is going to be a problem when it doesn't seem like it's. it's a, well, there's not that many people right, right now. Like, whatever. But when I was a kid,
0: I, this this movie, Omega Man, uh, Planet of the Apes. I was a big Chucky fan, Chuck Heston yeah, fan. Yeah. But these sci-fi, dystopian future movies really just goosed my interest in oh, yeah. post-apocalyptic stuff. And oh, yeah. to this day, I love it, whether it's movies or video games or whatever. You so throw me some sort of rage, post-apocalyptic. So many
1: novels, man.
0: Mad Max, yeah. any of it. It's just it's fascinating to see society break apart.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you can be as polite and nice and whatever when everybody's got food and water. But when the resources run thin and it's hot as
1: F, yeah.
0: you know, people are going to start You're gonna have to call out the scoops. Asking, yeah, get them scoops to get them peeps. But, you know, the suicide thing. Like the the you know, that that's been Parodied on The Simpsons and and on Futurama Futurama with the with the suicide suicide booth, yeah. Um, But it just it had such a a a definite look and feel and vibe to it. And the scene with Edward G. Robinson and Charlton Heston eating when he steals when (laughs) Heston just steals everything. He steals the booze and the meat and the and the stuff, and it's like you. The the brilliance of that scene is you watch Edward G. Robinson enjoying all of this stuff and remembering, right? Right. Remembering what it was like to eat when he bites the lettuce, the look on his face. Yeah. Where Charlton Heston's like well, his lettuce is whatever. I don't give yeah, a crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, gets get to the meat. <laughs> He's enjoying it for the first time, and you know, so it's it's this really well done scene where you get to see what. What it was like before yeah. and what it was like after. Right, right. Which is kinda weird because Chan is right in his forties,
1: right? He's gotta be in his forties at this point. Yeah. So it was like, you know, when did the when did uh, he's it need for it. in fact, cause I think he did in Omega Man, I think he was forty eight. Might be 50. And that was that was around the same time. So he grew up or maybe a couple of years later. So he might have been near fifty, yeah. So he was born in the Seventies, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was supposed to be. But I think that's the thing is that Edward G. Robinson was supposed to be like eighty. Sure. So he knew the couple decades before things started getting bad, which is when the movie came out in nineteen seventy three. Right. Is when it was like, hey, guess what? <laughs> now it's all gone to hell. Well, it was a cautionary tale, and yeah, I think I, th- I unfortunately I think this movie gets overlooked. I I think it has a bad reputation now because everyone boils it down to the catchphrase. People, Soylent
0: grain is, is people, and it's like
1: everyone thinks it's like, well, it's just it's just one of those like it's like a Shyamalan movie where it just has that twist ending and that's it. And it's yeah, it, it's, it's so bad. much more than that. That
0: ending, the twist doesn't even really matter. No, you know, no. It's just it shows just how. Far that, that that society has come in terms of exp- just destroying all their resources. Yeah, in the fact, yeah. That they've ruined the, the ocean, so you can't get the plankton dying. to make yeah. the green the soil green.
1: So they gotta, I gotta do something else. So they just get all the suicide people. And but this this movie is so dystopian that at the end. Like they were like, You have to get the proof and he has the proof and he's being carted off and you know that he's gone. Yeah. I mean, the movie ends I don't know if uh, if you realize this, but it ends with the same images and music as the Edward G. Robinson death scene yeah. and I'm pretty sure they were implying that they killed Charlton Heston. Well, or they—it just he died. I mean,
0: he was yeah. shot. Yeah, he died. He, yeah,
1: but it—but you know. so he did all this, and it came to nothing. Well, because they tried to cover it up too. Yeah, you know, yeah. his
0: boss is like, uh, oh, the
1: case is closed." Yeah, He's like, yeah. He I'm not putting my orders, name on it. Yeah. He's like, "I'll cover for you," but it's just—it's ah, just so, so dark and so amazing. And I really, you saying that it's like a film noir—that totally, it was like, yes, that is 100% neo noir. Yeah, and it should have been marketed that way. Well, it's again, it was a tough film to market because there hadn't really been anything like it. Yeah.
0: And, you know, you've got the star power of Charlton Heston, but you know, seventies Charlton Heston wasn't fifties Charlton Heston. You know, yeah, he was yeah. more of a B movie kind of Omega Man and yeah. you know, doing these weird movies. But he's so good in
1: this. And yeah. he's very, very understated in this. Yes,
0: and 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 just like the scene. Where she's like, take a shower, I'll make you breakfast. And first he's like, no, I got to go. And then, you oh, got hot water. And yeah, just yeah. that the, the, you could see the wheels turning in his head, and you can see him, all right, I'll do it. You yeah, know, it's a, when am I ever going to have this chance again? It's just, it was, it's such an interesting movie, like... The cops, the way that the cops are, they're still poverty stricken yeah. servants. Yeah. You know, they yeah. have it a little bit better. At least they're not sleeping they, in the stairwell. They have a place to their themselves. They have a home. Yeah, but
1: like you know, but they're not, <laughs> not sleeping in a stairwell. There was there's so many scenes of him having to hopscotch over people yeah. downstairs.
0: Like, come on, I mean, is it really
1: comfortable sleeping on stairs? I've never slept on At stairs. At least you're inside.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean. I guess, Although but it's out, so hot outside. It seems like it'd be worse oh, to be all. There's so much flop sweat in this movie too. Oh, stink city too. Nobody's taking showers and the fact that like the that soap when he when he yeah. got that bar of soap, it was just <laughs> like oh You ever my seen God. a cake
1: of soap this big before? It's giant. It's just oh man, what a stink. It's such a great movie. I I absolutely love this movie and even if you do know the twist at the end, it's worth seeing. Because the twist doesn't matter. The d- d- twist does not define it, the it, movie. It, it It is so
0: much more than that. it is the depiction of a society depleted of resources society yeah. that is in the midst of a uh ecological catastrophe right uh the world is dying, yeah. and you've yeah. got these you know rich a holes that are holding on to the last gasps of of i don't know society i guess or I, last gas they they're, gasps they're of,
1: still making their money they're still making money they
0: still got their video games and that was like you said that was the first time a video game was oh yeah that's in a movie. true the, it was, looked like yeah,
1: asteroids space space command or something yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah. it was called yeah that was the first time uh there's a bunch of other stuff i didn't include in the script like the the fact that uh, greenberg the writer the reason the end is silent is because he refused he had contractually They couldn't change the script after he gave it to them, Mm -hmm. and he refused to make it an action movie. So there was no dialogue. He's like, this is not an action movie, and they couldn't add dialogue in. So the Fleischer said, all right, then the last 20 minutes is silent. Works so well, though. It's so good.
0: Yeah, it's just – it's and and there's, like, neat little Easter eggs, like uh, the um, murder victim is Matheson, one of them, you know? And and you know that's Richard Matheson, a nod to him. yeah and it's just there's so many little things and it's just i i i talked about it all the time i love 70 sci-fi it's yeah, probably yeah. my favorite era of sci-fi i think people were doing so many different things and they were bringing in you know, uh, actually real world issues like right. pollution and overpopulation and 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 really like in the 50s in the 60s, how they were kind of – sci-fi was really toying with the atomic age right, and, right. and the repercussions of that. And, and mostly goofy, you know, the brain yeah. is alive. Yeah, and, or Godzilla. Or, and, you know, and, yeah. and giant ants or spiders. Um, but the the, the the movies like this in the 70s that really kind of tried to be realistic yeah. and kind of show the, the horrible consequences of, of ignoring these issues it yeah. was they just did it in such a really interesting way that is both goofy and important
1: that yeah. I don't think any yeah. other
0: decade kind of was able. Th- no,
1: no, not it's very really. Unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. Uh, they they've tried. There was talk about them trying to remake it in the mid two thousands, and then the last news that I saw was like from two thousand twelve. So nothing since then. So strange. I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be remade, and I think it's because of. The soiling greenest people. Yeah. That's that's all people think about when they, right. they see this, hear this movie. But it's just yeah, and it's just it's it's just so funny because watching it
0: again, <laughs> there's two things that I yeah. that I remember misremembered. Mis- right. One is this fancy little kerchief. I thought was red <laughs> and not beige. Which I love that kerchief. I don't know why, but he just he <laughs> loved putting that kerchief on. Uh, um, it's hot and sweaty. You gotta keep guess, keep the sweat from running down your chest. Sure. You need your kerchief. And the other thing I misremembered was I thought the end. I didn't remember that he was shot. I thought he was like running through the streets screaming. Oh yeah, yeah. It's people, and then they shoot him. I thought he was. This
1: is this is where it becomes that Mandela effect, where it's like everyone remembers it that way, but that's not how it was. No, it was much more subtle. Yeah. yeah. And uh, God, the fight inside the church or whatever, on top of people, yeah, and like. Knocking people over, shooting people in the head, randomly shooting people. Like, just it was, I totally forgot about all of that. Horrifying. Yeah, it's just
0: horrifying. So so many great things. Look, if you haven't seen this movie, If 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 you haven't guessed it, we're fans, (laughs) and we we fully recommend it. It's hard to find right
1: now. It is. Uh, Unfortunately, you you can rent it. Uh, It's just not available on any streaming services at the time.
0: If you got a collection, pick up a. You can probably get a DVD or
1: Blu-ray for five ten bucks. Yeah, even
0: used, and it is definitely worth it. It is a classic for your collection. It is something that that if you bring out and show your friends, they're going to be like, "Wait, this is what Soylent Green is, right? Right. I just thought it was a goof." Yeah, exactly. And it's not. It's it's Great performances. It's social commentary. It's film noir. It's a great detective story. It's action. It's adventure. It's, it's fantastic. There's it's, just so much to it. And watching it, I'm so glad that we watched it again because it's it's got to be a couple of decades since I've yeah, seen
1: it. Yeah, yeah. Dev- since college, I have not seen it since then. And it just kind of juiced me. I just want to see more, yeah. uh,
0: uh, 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 more of this. And I want to see...
1: Uh, more,
0: uh, uh, I want to see more of his movies. <laughs> it's, it's got me ready for when we do uh, Planet of the Apes.
1: Oh, that's my jam. Yeah. I. The, Planet of the Apes is the reason that I watched Soylent Green and most of Heston's sci fi movies because yeah. I loved Planet of the Apes so much. Me too. I love, I should say. Still, I yeah. had the playset, baby. Uh yeah, I'm It's we it. Well, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're gonna cover Meteor.
0: Yeah, we are Meteor. It's a little known movie with Mr. Sean
1: Connery. This is one of the few movies we're covering that I've never seen. But Meteor's made of people. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> people. I'm super excited about it. I I love it. Now don't eat any
0: soil and green, folks, because soil and green is people.
1: <laughs> he played two recur. During the 1930s and 40s, he was an outspoken public criticism of fashion. Oh, sorry. Whoa. What? Wow. <laughs> and this is the part where Jim can't read. <laughs> I was going to say Warhol. Uh, excuse
0: me. Let's start that. Over. The Missouri. And that's it. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. Garfield and Friends. Already in
1: progress.